0: Hi, and welcome to Reasoning Together with Dan and Amy Perkins. My name is Amy, and I'm here with my husband, Dan. And we are just grateful that you joined us for this episode of Reasoning Together. Uh, What we do here is we just... Take a book of the Bible, take scripture, take a topic, and we just dive into it together, and we reason it out together through the scriptures. And so uh, right now we are in the book of Galatians, and the other week we covered Galatians chapter 1, and this week we're in Galatians chapter 2. And so we're excited that you're here with us. We're going to be going through this whole book through the month of March. And so, Dan, why don't you give us a recap of what we talked about last time?
1: So Paul is writing to a group of believers in Galatia. He is writing to them because he got reports back that false teachers were infiltrating the church. They were trying to get the believers to begin to adhere to the law. They were, they were adding works to salvation, and so, you know, they were sent from the Jewish leaders, they were going into the church and telling the believers there that in order for them to be saved, that they had to fulfill the law, they had to become circumcised, they had to, you know, do certain works of the laws, ceremonial laws, ritual laws, uh, in order to be justified uh, in God's sight. And so they really have come into the church, they are preaching this, and they are corrupting what Paul sees as the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage them to maintain the faith uh, of, of Jesus and that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And so that is, you know, really what Paul is trying to address here in this letter. And so last time we were talking about just how we fall into this trap, of getting into a works-based religion and how we can really begin to um, try to add things to our salvation so we make it a Jesus and works type of religion uh, that we begin to follow, and how that puffs us up and makes us self-righteous and things like that, and so really, Paul is encouraging the the group of believers to not do that, and he's encouraging us to do that as well, to maintain the, the pure gospel, and Paul is really telling them of, of how he received this gospel, that it was a direct revelation from Jesus himself and that this was the gospel that he was taking to the Gentiles on behalf of the other apostles as well, too. And so that's really what we covered last week, and so let's go ahead and, and dive into chapter 2.
0: Okay, so I'm going to read the first um, 11 verses, and then Dan will read the, the remainder of the chapter. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Fourteen years later I went up again to Jerusalem, "'this time with Barnabas. "'I took Titus along also.'" I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All that they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do.
1: But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because... Here in the first part of this chapter, uh, verses 1 through 3, we have Paul writing to the Galatians, telling them of his authority with the gospel, and that he even went to the other apostles, uh, James, uh, John, and Cephas, uh, who is Peter. He went to them... And had his gospel confirmed, he said, I went up to them, I told them of the revelation that that I had, the gospel that I was preaching among the Gentiles, and they confirmed that, yes, this is this is true. This is the gospel. This is the true gospel. Go preach this, just in everything that you do, just remember the poor. But that's what, really what, what he's talking about here. He's telling them that after 14 years, he went back up to them, uh, to the apostles in Jerusalem, had the, told them what he was teaching the Gentiles. And they put their stamp of approval on it. And so that's really the launching point of, of what Paul's doing here. So Amy, in these verses, what, what what was jumping out at you?
0: So what really stood out to me was um, in verse 5, well, in verse four first. it says, This matter arose because some false brothers have infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. Verse 5 says, We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. And that just really stood out to me that Paul made sure that he did not give in to this false teaching and took a stand against it for the sake of these other believers, for the sake of their faith that the truth might remain in them. And so he was really looking out for them and was willing to take a stand against these leaders, these people in high positions, you know, high status in order to protect, you know, the truth in these other believers. And that's what a leader, you know, should do, is look out for and protect. And I just thought, what a great example by Paul. And what a great example for us, you know, like Mm -hmm. that he was willing to take a stand so that others would not be led astray.
1: Yeah, he really had the welfare of the people he was leading in mind. And not his own popularity, not his own influence, not his own comfort, he was willing to sacrifice all of that in order to care for the people that were he was you know leading and that he was shepherding and that he was doing this for and that's really is a, one the the greatest quality a leader can have is one who's willing to sacrifice all these things in order to protect the people that he 's leading i mean that that 's really what a biblical leader is and should do. And so it, but what we're seeing, you know a lot of times is that people are more into this uh, into their ministry for popularity, for influence, for fame, for whatever it else it is. And they're willing to compromise even the gospel in order to um, in order to achieve all these things, right? In order to have uh, success, I'm using air quotes here, uh, in order to have success in ministry, and so we're seeing all this, but really, if we if we look at the biblical model of a great leader, it's one that's willing to sacrifice all that and is one that is actually willing to take the brunt of the persecution that's going to result from this um, in order to protect the people and to protect the truth and to really care for the people and say that, no, the, the people that I am in charge of leading, their souls and are more important than my popularity my fame or you know my influence
0: Mm -hmm. for sure the what we see as a leader nowadays what qualifies you know what we look at in a leader nowadays is a lot different right and i just think paul like he always led by example and just looking at this like so the truth of the gospel might remain in you like what an example to them that they'll now that they can follow that same example and be mm-hmm. that for someone else. So that's real discipleship.
1: Right. Yeah, that's leading by example and that's le- that's leading from conviction, mm-hmm. right? And and so having those convictions is what really you're going to rely on going through that and so it doesn't matter, you know, I I don't think Paul was really worried about how many likes or subscribers he had on on YouTube or Instagram, right? Like he was he was more he was so enamored with Jesus and the truth of the gospel, like he was so overtaken by that beautiful reality that he was willing to stand up in the face of, you know, what could be a fierce persecution. And, I mean, Paul even talks about it in in Corinthians, right? He tells them, how, you know, he gives his list of how many times he was stoned, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times, you know, he was you know almost fed to the wild beasts, um and, and how he was willing to go through all this because of Jesus and because of the truth of the gospel that people were set free by grace through faith in Christ,
0: yeah, I mean the more I read about Paul and look at his life, you know the more I realize he was not a people pleaser, mm-hmm. you know he really was not concerned with what other people thought about him. His main concern was for the truth, and you know in verse six, like he says for those who seemed to be important whatever they were makes no difference to me mm-hmm. you know he wasn't intimidated by their status he wasn't right. intimidated by the outward appearance that these people were so important you know he was he was all about standing for the truth and it didn't right. matter who he was standing against who he was facing yeah. It's just really admirable.
1: Right, it really is. I mean, and Paul, it, it eventually cost him his life. You know, it, you know, he was so willing to stand up for the truth of the gospel that he was willing to do it in front of political leaders, you know, in front of the Roman leaders uh, and everything. And every chance he got, he preached the truth of the gospel. He was willing to take a stand for the real gospel and for Jesus himself. And so that's the kind of leader he was. And it, it's actually almost... Um, Contrasted here a little bit, like Paul is contrasting himself here with with Peter. And so, I mean, Peter was the de facto leader of the 12 disciples, right? Like, he was the one, and throughout the Gospels that you see, who was really out in front, who had the great confession of who Jesus Christ was. He was there at the Transfiguration. He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, he was part of Jesus' inner circle with uh, the the brothers James and John. Um, But he was the leader of the... Uh, apostles, and so he was also the one who had the the revelation that you know that God has now declared uh, Gentiles to be clean, to be uh, by faith that they are are made right in His sight. Remember in Acts where he had the um, the the revelation, he had the vision um, that God was you know all the animals were being coming down from a sheet, and he said you know go ahead and take from all of these and eat. You know, what he was saying now is that he God himself is the one who has declared this um, to be clean. And so Peter even had this revelation. Peter was the first one to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He he went to Cornelius' house, and he saw that God was no longer acting partially. Like, he was saying that now that the Holy Spirit has fallen both on the Jewish people and on Gentiles. And so Paul, Peter here is knows all of this, right? And he understands this. He had the revelation of this. But yet he was still able to get caught up in trying to please and trying to win the approval of influential people. And he was willing to compromise and become a hypocrite himself in order to gain that approval by certain types of people. And Paul saw this as so damaging that he was willing to even rebuke the, the de facto leader of all the church. I mean, this is, Peter is it. Peter is that man. He's that dude. And Paul um, was willing to stand up in front of other people and openly rebuke him in order to take this stand that says, no, Like we, can, we cannot put people back under the yoke of the law because that is not what Jesus Christ has come to do. And so Paul here is even willing to stand up to Peter himself, which it takes. You know that's 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 pretty bold. I don't think we can overstate how significant this really is. Like this is this is pretty um, bold of Paul to rebuke Peter openly in front of other believers to do this. Um, but that just goes to how strongly. Paul's convictions are regarding the gospel.
0: And something else that stood out to me um, when I was reading this is in verse 7, how it says, On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles and it made me think of you know in corinthians how it talks about there are different gifts but the same spirit right mm. there are yeah. um there are different kinds of service but the same lord they are different kinds of working but the same god works in all of them. And it says, you know, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Mm-hmm. And so, it just made me think, like, Peter was given one assignment from God, Paul was given another, but it was the same Spirit working in both of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, w- that's another way that we can hinder the work of God, is if we're always trying to look like other people. right? Or always trying to mold, you know, ourselves mm-hmm. to someone else's ways or what they think we should be doing, or, you know, nowadays, like, all churches seem to have the same model, right? And But I just think that can really hinder the work of the Spirit, because He gives out gifts and, you know, service— For the common good of the people, if we all look the same. Right.
1: Yeah, I really like that because God is really contextualizing his ministry here, and he's giving Peter an assignment to go to the circumcised, right, He's to the Jewish people. He's contextualizing um, the gospel in order to reach uh, a certain people in a certain people group, and then, you know, Paul has his his context here, and he's going to the uncircumcised, and he's going to the pagans, and he's going to those who are outside of, you know, God's people. I'm using air quotes again, but he's going to outside of God's people, and he's, and he's going, and he's preaching the gospel, but it's the same gospel, it's the same Lord, but it's just contextualized so that they can understand the gospel in their context, but it's the same gospel, and that's what um, Paul is really trying to get at here. He's really telling the Galatians here, he's saying that, like, this this is, you know, the same gospel.
0: Mm-hmm. It just, it stood out to me that, again, the work of God can be hindered mm-hmm. if, you know, we're trying to gain the acceptance or approval of people by trying to look like them right. rather than what God has called us to do.
1: Right. And so... Peter got caught up in trying to win and gain the acceptance of influential Jewish leaders by trying to bring other people back under to the law and by fulfilling the law, and Paul here is reminding uh, the Galatians by telling them this story, and he's telling them of how he even told Peter that, hey, listen, this is not... It wasn't by works of the law that we were justified. This this isn't how this came about. This is we we were justified. Every single person, whether it's a Jewish person or whether it's a Gentile person, it is justified not by works of the law, but is justified justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And he he's reminding even Peter of the of the gospel of of grace saved by faith. Grace saved by faith. That's what Paul is. Uh, reminding us here that we no person can be justified by works of the law, and so we got to kind of remember like what what the law was meant to do and what it was used for. It was to, it was given that we might understand first of all God's perfect holiness and our sinfulness. Right? That's what the law does. It, it doesn't have the ability to make us justified in His sight. It's just something that's given to to show us how holy God is, and to point out how sinful we are. And in the law, there is allowances for our sinfulness in order that um, we might come into the presence of God. And that's what the law was was used for, but it never had the ability to permanently make us clean, um, that we could come and be in God's presence and to worship. And Paul is saying that, the, that God accomplished this apart from the law— In Jesus Christ, by Jesus fulfilling the law... That God has, and us placing our faith and trust in Him, that we are now justified in God's sight once and for all. That we no longer have to um, be circumcised, we no longer have to wash um, our hands a certain way, we no longer have to, um, you know, only have, you know, one type of fabric or something like that in order to be seen as holy. Um, You know, even with some of the things about our bodily discharges, that would make us unclean. And some of the things about us touching dead bodies, all those things would make us unclean and we would have to go through rituals in order to be able to come back and worship God again. But Paul's saying, like, we don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. Like, that stuff is no longer applicable because God has declared us uh, clean and righteous in His sight through faith in Christ. And so Paul is, is reminding us of this here, and he's reminding Peter of that too. He's, he's reminding Peter of his own revelation that God is the one who has now justified us.
0: And in verse 21, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And when I was reading this, I was reading the footnotes for this verse, and it says, By struggling to appropriate God's power to change them, sanctification, they are not resting in God's power to save them, justification. If we could be saved by being good, then Christ did not have to die. And so it's like when we're not resting in God's power to save us or to change us when we're always trying to save ourselves or change ourselves we're not resting in God's power and it just it made me think of you know like our recovery principles like how we are powerless mm-hmm. right to change ourselves and we need a power greater than ourselves right and it just it's true like we do not have the power to change ourselves, if we did, Christ wouldn't have had to come and die. Right. If we had the power to save ourselves, change ourselves, make us right, make us good enough, Christ didn't have to come and die. But because he, obviously he did, because it says, if righteousness could have been gained through the law, you know, but it couldn't. Right. That's why Christ came.
1: Right. So we
0: cannot make ourselves good enough we can't even change ourselves we don't have the power to set ourselves free from sin right right from destruction from death yeah Yeah. we don't have the power to do it
1: right and so it's really relying on him and his work and not us adding anything to it but being changed and transformed by it i think and that's that's powerful you know and it's it's hard for us um, because like we talked about last time, we like to be able to measure things and we like to be able to add things and we want to we be able to look at other people and say, no, I did this, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but the gospel is the exact opposite. It's not like, look, look at what I did, it's look at what Christ did.
0: I think it's the most powerful prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that we could pray is, God, I have no power <laughs> to change yeah. myself. I need you to come. And help today and help me and change me mm-hmm. you know and make me clean i don't have the power within myself to do it just right. that admitting that that powerlessness that we really have yeah and depending on him
1: and it's really so beautiful because it's there in those moments that i think god really meets us when we do that
0: and we really experience his power right instead of our own
1: And that's the beauty of the gospel. And that's why we don't try to add anything to it or take anything away from it. It's because we rest in God's grace and his power. I think that's very beautiful. And so that wraps us up for chapter two. Uh, We thank you so much for joining us as Amy and I open our Bibles and reason together from the scriptures. We pray that this has been uh, edifying for you and this has built you up in your faith. And if this is something that you have enjoyed and believe that other people would enjoy it, if you would, just uh, hit the subscribe button or share this on social media. We would greatly appreciate that. And until next time, we'll be talking with you all real soon.